All right, welcome back to everyone out there in a primo land to this season of Cheat Codes, where we're drilling down into all things content operations. The true stories on the people, process, and tech that get you from the smallest content component to the biggest brand experiences. I'm your co-host, Sam Chapman, VP of Content here at Aprimo, joined as always by Ed Brialt, our host and CMO. Ed, who are we talking to today and what should our guests keep an eye out for? We are super lucky to have Nick Barber on the show. He is currently VP at Insight Partners. They're a venture capital and private equity investor. He's also a former analyst at Forrester. That's where I first met Nick. He used to author the Forrester Waves, which are these amazing research reports which cover the space that a primo's in for customer experience. That's everything kind of under the sun, including you know what we do, digital asset management. And what I what I think is so interesting is not only just the area and industry expertise, but he's got some really interesting perspectives on how you tell the difference between the technology and what it's trying to enable you to do, right? So if you've got some sort of tech that's supposed to help you with content operations, that's not gonna solve your capacity or staffing needs to understand your customers and speak their language, right? It's not gonna help you place data at the center of your content strategy. What he does do is give us that perspective on how to marry the two. Absolutely, I wanna say this podcast today was right up there with a masterclass. Nick's got one of the widest apertures uh, for content technologies, business operations, and how to tell a great brand story. Sounds great, there's a lot in store, so let's get into it, and Ed, I'll catch you on the flip side. Here we go. Hello, folks. Welcome to another episode of Marketing Cheat Codes. My name is Ed Briel, host of the podcast. And today's episode is brought to you by the cheat code, Admit When You Don't Know Something. Uh, I found this to be extremely powerful and surround yourself by people who are smarter than you. One of those people who I can admit to that is Nick Barber. Uh, Nick, how are you, sir? I'm good, Ed. How are you? Doing well. Um, so we met, we're definitely going to get into your awesome career arc, uh, your early days of content. And I've got a little surprise for you. I, I found something on the internet that you created. I want to ask you about it because I think it was one of those things that could have been like the seed and or along your way, you saw the value of content. Uh, and then definitely want to talk about um, uh, in there this concept of, I'm calling it the analyst mindset um, of your days. And then of course, now, you know, you as an advisor and technologist and, um, you know, researcher, just being super curious and having, again, all the answers, if not all of them, they're within reach, within grasp of you. Um, so, so Nick, I was looking at the internet and I found this really interesting video of you. I don't know if you know it's still out there, um, but you're in a, it's either a, a Piper plane or a Cessna. It's definitely a propeller plane and uh, much younger than, and I so back then you had this idea of, I'm going to go capture an experience and I'm going to, I'm going to get a video camera and I'm going to go fly around in a plane. What inspired that? So ever since I, for as long as I can remember, um, I enjoyed the sort of magic of 
you know, I'll say storytelling, but it really goes, you know, one step forward, one step more into really the video element of that storytelling. And uh, so born in the 80s, grew up in the 90s, very early on in terms of, you know, technology, internet was just kind of making its way into the mainstream and, you know, kind of the mid 90s are there. Uh, I got my first video camera when I was, I don't know, eight or something. Was it, and it was one of those, over the it was shoulder. one of those, it was one of those big shoulder mounted video cameras that recorded right onto a VHS tape. There's probably people who are watching this that don't even know what VHS is on. Um, <laughs> so recorded onto a VHS tape and I would just, I would make videos of anything and everything. It would be family, you know, parties and gatherings. I experimented using, uh, if, if any of you know how like the, the old show Gumby was made with like claymation and stop motion animation, I experimented with that. And, you know, fast forward a couple of years, uh, you know, I was in high school and finally had access to like a little bit better editing systems than the VCRs that I would sort of like plug together at home and got to experiment with that more. Uh, eventually I decided like, I, I think I wanna make this my career. So I went to Boston University uh, studying journalism. I wanted to be a journalist. I wanna be a news reporter. That's a whole nother uh, story. We either can get into here, we can get into on another really uh, conversation. Your curiosity though, like I feel like you're still full of curiosity and wanting to sponge up as much as possible. It's it's the it's that, and it's also like how can I sponge it up and like retell it, like tell it to more people and bring it to more people. So so that video that you saw of me in a Cessna, that was actually uh, my friend is a private pilot, and uh, I've always been interested in 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 general aviation. I've never actually gotten my pilot's license, but I'm very sort of interested in that. So when I knew he could take me up. I jumped at the opportunity. I said, you know, this is great. Like, let's do a video of it. Uh, so we, um, you know, experimented with that and created some really cool content. And it was just a great way to sort of capture an event that one, not a lot of people get to experience, you know, mm -hmm. so that everyone flies in airplanes or a lot of people fly in airplanes, but the general aviation aspect of it is very, very different. Um, so it was one way to sort of capture that experience and retell it to other people. And it just seemed like a, it just seemed like a natural fit for video because mm -hmm. it's so like, there's so much visual element to it. There's so much of an auditory element to it. There's also a, you know, personal element of like how Joe and I interacted in the plane and the process and the whole thing. So it just seemed like a very natural fit for, for something that was video. And I went up with him once and then got a chance to go up a, a couple of times. So that's the backstory on uh, video and the airplane. That's pretty cool. Um, and also I've actually been in one of those since before I was up with a friend. This was, he flew me from the Allegheny airport in Pittsburgh over to, we puddle jumped over to a little spot of land in um, Lake Erie. And we were doing some, he was trying to scare the crap out of me. Basically <laughs> he was, he would do these routines. He'd go up, he'd go straight up and he, he handed me like the, the manual 
like it's a big thick book that they have in there with all like the, the codes of communication. He's like, Ed, hold it in your hand. I'm like, all right. And so, yeah. And then he dove back down and this book was floating in front of me. Um, that's the last time I'd ever step foot in. <laughs> yeah. In Cessna. Um, but it felt, um, uh, exhilarating, you know? Yeah. It was awesome. Yeah. I, w I wish I had my camera with me, captured that moment, you know, fast forward today. I absolutely would have had it, you know, but back then, you know, sort of being in that discovery mode, um, that almost like, um, wanting to capture, um, moments, wanting to, you know, points in time. Um, it's almost like, it's like anthropology, you know, gathering, um, gathering that information back then, that, that curiosity gap that you were looking to fill. And then, you know, fast forward now with content and you and videos. So then you become like, fast forward, we're going to go back in your career. Uh, but we met, uh, my time at a primo, your time at Forrester, you covered that space. So could we even imagine when you're capturing that video in the Cessna that you're with like the top, um, analyst firm, like in the world covering all of this technology that exists. Um, obviously we weren't thinking that way then, but did you, do you see like traces back like your time there? And even today, like that's, like a seed that was planted grew over time and, uh, and you nurtured it. And, and so, so first off, yes, certainly. And, and, and I, I think the seed was, it even preceded getting that video camera, uh, that I was lucky enough to get as, as a little kid. Um, but, but from, but from that point on, while my kind of career journey has been maybe non-conventional, uh, started out as, you know, wanting to become a news reporter, ended up creating online content for a global tech media organization, then became an analyst. Uh, and now I, I work at a, a venture capital and private equity firm. So career path kind of non-conventional. But if you look at the sort of thread that follows all the way through almost everything that I've done, there's a thread of content. There's a thread of storytelling and I always have a soft spot for video. So whenever I can weave yeah. that in and do that, um, I try to, and, you know, even with some of the things that I've done at Forrester sort of like, you know, how can we do kind of a, a video blog at an event or a video, video reaction to, you know, some recent research. And, um, we're looking at even, you know, piloting some of those things, uh, at insight as well. Yeah. It's like, don't waste a moment. Like there's always a content opportunity, uh, to, uh, to capture. And then what I love what you said, and this is like a cheat code too, which is don't just sponge in information, but pull it in, add value to it. Um, digest a little bit, enrich it, then put it back out there for others to consume, uh, in a way that, uh, is much more like easily, uh, consumed and or enriched with more information, with perspective, with story, you know, even taking in content that has no emotion, adding some in to maybe like humanizing it. Um, I think that that's like a ultimate cheat code superpower that you've, you've possessed, um, developed, honed over the years. 
And I think it's particularly important in the tech space that we're all in mm -hmm. is this idea of like, how can we take these really complex ideas or technologies, distill it, simplify it, and then tell the story so it makes sense to that business leader, that decision maker, that maybe tech buyer that's not so technical. So I think there's there there's a thread of that too, and that was one of the things that I really worked on when I was uh, a reporter at IDG was this idea of taking some really complex topics, complex technology, and sort of distilling it down. And oftentimes it was I sort of created this process. I don't know if it's a process, but it was a series of questions that I asked all of these companies that I interviewed when I was at IDG. And I think it, it helped a lot in getting to sort of distilling that, that unique value. So I would generally go through and I say, what is it? How does it work? Why is it important? And what's next? And usually with those four questions, you could get a pretty good handle on what this, you know, complex technology is. And, and I, I still sort of use that uh, today because the, sort of the difference in my job at Forrester versus my job now at Insight Partners is at Forrester, I was very focused on uh, just a few spaces. So digital asset management and content management systems were really the, the focus of my research at Forrester. So I was very familiar mm -hmm. with all of, those, all of those questions and all of those answers. Now at Insight, it's much more diverse in terms of a technology landscape. So one day it might be working with a cybersecurity company. Another day it might be with a you know, B2C company. Another day it might be with a content company. So there's much more sort of diversity in the types of companies. But I go back a lot of times to those four questions. Maybe I don't exactly ask the companies, but I have those four questions in my head as I'm doing my research um, to sort of help. Yeah, that's a phenomenal mental framework to have that you've found and you've, you've leveraged that mental framework to move not just within one like sort of collection of technology categories indoor space, but you've taken it across to numerous different types of uh, technology, um, organizational uh, designs and it still works. Yeah, because it's simple. And I think one of the things is, you know, oftentimes we so much try to over engineer things or we, 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 we try to make them complicated for complicated sake. But if you can kind of go back to the simplicity of it, and I think that's the, I think those four questions are, are pretty simple. And I think that you can get pretty simple answers. Uh, from those four questions, or at least distill pretty simple answers from those four questions. And it gives you a real nice perspective in how to understand something new. Uh, and it's not just technology, you could apply those four questions really, you know, well beyond just the tech space. I love that. Um, let's, um, let's call that a cheat code, a cheat code for learning something new. What is it? How does it work? Why is it important? And then what's next, of course. Um, Love that. Now, uh, so you're like an OG content dude, like back in the day. Like, so what are your thoughts on that? Like, 
back to technology. How has it, before we had all this tech, we had content. You were an original content person, strategist, marketer, even you are marketing, probably didn't realize it, but you were doing all things that like the, you go to somebody today and says, Hey, I'm a, I'm a content marketer. It's what you're doing. You're telling story through some sort of medium and has the, has the technology delivered? Um, has the technology it is the the need for delivery of content experiences much further beyond where the technology is or is the technology beyond where organizations can actually get value like where would you place the the match of what's what we have available to us versus what we should have need so yes and no and and i'll I'll qualify that by what I think technology has done is it's lowered the barrier to entry. It's democratized this ability to tell stories in new mediums using new tools without spending a lot of time learning or becoming an expert in those tools. 10 years ago, 15 years ago, if you wanted to tell a video story or a story through the medium of video, you needed to learn Premiere, you needed to learn Codex, you needed to learn content ingestion and all of those things in order to do that. Uh, now, you don't have to because there's tools out there that make it easy to do it. So yes, technology has made, it, made, made content easier. What I think a lot of people get tripped up in is you still need to be able to tell a good story. Right. Technology is not able to tell a good story for you. Um, so that's one of the big challenges is trying to put a little bit of blinders on and, and, and saying, all right, hold on. We're going to set the technology aside for a second and not get distracted by the bright, shiny object. And we're going to focus on the story that we want to tell. And then we can kind of bring in the technology and the different mediums we want to tell that story through. It was, I mean, it, it, it sort of mirrors a little bit of, of what happened to me at Boston University, where I was a journalism major. And my freshman year, I was like, oh, this is going to be great. We're going to get access to like video cameras that I've never had before and editing machines and all of these things. And it was like, no, there's actually foundational pieces like that you need to learn around, you know, storytelling and ethics and, you know, all of this other stuff you need to learn before you can start, you know, using the tools to, you know, the, the specialized tools to tell the story. And that's what I think, like a lot of people forget. They think that technology is going to make them a better storyteller when in fact, it's really technology is the vehicle uh, for the storytelling, you still have to be a good storyteller yourself. And I think, you know, so far, machines haven't been able to supplant humans as great storytellers. I mean, we're starting to see glimmers out there of, you know, that happening. But for the most part, humans are still the best storytellers. Yeah, that, that's interesting, too, because the human is... When we think about good story, the human's brain is actually has been built over thousands of years to connect with story. 
And when we take the sometimes the the messenger out of the message, we dehumanize. There's just something a machine can't do, can't understand, might never. Um, and we can't forget that, like those those basic foundations of story, storyboarding, like you mentioned, ethics are are things that we need. The you know frameworks around like the hero's journey, um, the you know the phasing, the sequencing of a story, the beginning, the middle, sort of the end, and that's kind of like your framework here. And then what's next? You know, I think that's uh, um, those are great frameworks. Uh, now, this I so analyst now advisor. Right? So analyst sort of specialized ish, but still wide, but advisory very wide. Um, for us, for the, I want to call it the analyst mindset. Um, I don't even know if that's a thing. Let's make it up here. But for us, folks who aspire, folks who analyze, folks who are analysts, folks who aspire to be an analyst, us, our, us armchair analysts out there, you know, what what is the mindset? What's what's maybe your mental framework when you went in all in on that um, that you used to uh, drive your methodology? And maybe you didn't have it right away. Maybe you had a starting point, but then obviously you've adopted it, tailored it, came up with something that worked over time. To be an analyst, what does that mean? So I think there's, there's, there's two pieces that I think are really important to becoming, to becoming a good, becoming a good analyst, considering that as a career, uh, being successful at it. So I think the first thing is you've got to be grounded in the real world. Um, I think you need to have, you know, industry experience, uh, practitioner experience in the space that you're going to, you know, analyze or focus on. So I had come from, you know, the content space, the video space, I did about 3000 videos while I was at IDG all the way soup to nuts. Wow. Um, and the, uh, start of my time at Forrester was around covering the video space. It was around covering the video platforms that delivered video content and things like that. And then it expanded to the damn space and the content management system space as well. But it sort of started in a space that I was very familiar with. So I think having practitioner experience in the space that you're going to focus on is really, really important. There are some analysts who can do it without that. They can do it from a more sort of an academic uh, focus of learning about the space. That's not me. I, I, it just doesn't work for me. Um, so, you know, having that experience it is really important. And then the second biggest thing is always going back to this idea of customer insights. It's like all roads lead to customer insights. Mm -hmm. If you understand what the customers want in the market, then you can tailor your research, research portfolio to it appropriately. If you understand what the customers aren't getting in the market, you can also do the same. You can talk about, oh, there's this opportunity for vendors and technology companies to provide a service or you know meet an unmet need in the market, uh, those sorts of things. And so I love the chance whenever I could get my hands on kind of rich uh, customer data 
uh, one of the things that I actually loved, uh, a lot of things I love, but one of the things I had a um, great admiration for that I did at Forrester were a lot of our data-driven um, projects, uh, thought leadership projects, mm-hmm. uh, uh, custom surveys, things like that, where you could get to, you know, the the real the real focus of a problem through data and through um, and through surveys and things like that. And now, like one of the things that I'm doing at Insight is building out these capabilities for our portfolio companies to basically leverage a framework to create this data-driven thought leadership. So, because I think it's so powerful, if you can articulate that you understand a problem in the market um, and you can position your product to solve that problem or fill that need, then you've done a really good job and, and, and you're going to see success. Yeah. I've always appreciated your, your methodology in when you coach folks to take those surveys, to collect the data, you always said, you know, if, if you're not, if you don't have that firsthand experience, don't worry about it. Don't give us the data. Focus on where you've got the real world, like true firsthand knowledge experience. Uh, if you're an expert, if you're um, you know, a business practitioner, don't get distracted by the other things. But so in your surveying to, to get that data, to keep that, um, that data honest is the art of data collection that you did a really great job at. Um, how important was that? And did you, did you get to that point of saying, I'll go back to that cheat code of admit when you don't know something. Like if you don't know something, don't make it up. Just focus on what you know, put that in the survey, collect that in the data. How important was that for the integrity of research you've conducted? So I think it, it, it goes back to this idea of whenever you're doing research, uh, whether it is like formal research and you're an analyst or like you're doing, you're, you're, researching something at home or you're helping your kids with their homework or things like, you know, whatever you do, like you've got to go in with a hypothesis that you need to test. Mm-hmm. You've got to go in and, and say, well, I think it's going to end up, you know, this way because of this, that, and the other thing. And you're, you're going in and you're testing against that. Um, because if you're not doing that, you're sort of like, meandering your way around trying to like figure out like oh what are we looking for what are we trying to figure out it's like really hard to get somewhere uh if you don't know where the end point is so and that's and 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 if you come up with a hypothesis and it's like completely wrong that's fine but it's it's driven it it, it's helping you you know see where you want to get to and then kind of focus on that destination versus we could go there or we could go there or we could go there or let's test this or let's look at that. And then all of a sudden you've, you've lost your focus and it becomes really hard to kind of create, especially from a, from a analyst perspective, it becomes really hard to create like a narrative that doesn't have great focus. So I think going in with the hypothesis, whenever you're doing something data driven is going to really help give you focus around ultimately the story you tell. Yeah. I love that. Um, there's so much there to, there's, there's definitely cheat codes in there, uh, that you dropped, have the hypothesis, have focus, have direction, be okay to be wrong. You know, it's the scientific method, right? You've got to go through that methodical, 
approach to hypothesis, uh, to conclusion, and then just iterate on that. Uh, love that. There's so much applicability to, um, to us as marketers, uh, technologists. Oh yeah. Now, um, let's, let's go to, so your, your view in your career arc here has quite broadened. You mentioned, uh, moving very wide and now you're, you're able to see like, a. you've always covered ecosystems, the ecosystem scope. It sounds like that is, uh, that you're looking at is much, much wider. Um, so now that, you, now that you've been spending some time connecting broader ecosystems, are there any new insights, cheat codes that you're seeing in this idea of everything is connected to everything else, uh, potentially, right? You've, you've broadened it. How do you, do you think differently? Have you had to change any of your, um, your methodologies or, um, the practices that you bring, uh, to the, to your craft today with that wider mindset? So, so one of the things that's, that's, um, one of the things that's different is the, the context switching is happening a lot faster yeah. uh, now because there's, uh, you know, the analyst world was busy, but it was also very focused. So I had, you know, the, 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 you know, the spaces that I covered, the vendors I worked with, the user clients I advised, and that was my world. I'm not saying that it's simple or, or easy, uh, but it was, it was, it was, you know, the, the context switching wasn't mm -hmm. sort of high. Whereas now, you know, I could speak with, you know, one company in the cybersecurity space, then go to another company in the med tech, health tech space, and then go to another company in the data integration space, and then have an internal meeting about our overall content strategy. Mm -hmm. So there's a lot of context switching. So the, the point I'm trying to make here is you've got to find a way to sort of get up to speed quickly on new things. Mm -hmm. And, and it's a little bit of, so, so one, it's like, it's like doing your research. So understanding, um, you know, where to go to find trusted information about what you're, what you're seeking. There's another part of it, which is like, and I hesitate to say this, um, it's a little bit of fake it till you make it. It's a little bit of like, you've got to have the confidence that you, um, you don't know what you don't know, but you also do know certain things. And confidence gets you a long way. So, so, so I think there's, there's something to think about there when one context switching and, and we're all now, this is like a commonplace, everyone's context switching. Um, when context switching is high, and um, you've got to get up to speed very quickly. Um, you've got to have the confidence and you've got to do a little bit of that fake it till you make it. I love that. I mean, because you're dealing with 
ambiguity. It's it's like you're going into ter- it, it, into dark spaces, so to speak, and you don't know what's on the other side. And unless you ha- if you don't have confidence, you're not willing to walk to um, where there's unknown information or unknown scenarios. Uh, but yeah, you have to do that with um, a great deal of confidence in order to keep one your one foot going in front of it, um, rather than running away from un- the unknown. And, and there's also there's also a kind of pattern recognition uh, that after a while you start to pick up on. It's like, well, you know, this space is very different from this space, but. I'm starting to see similar things kind of happen. Mm-hmm. Like this feels very similar to me. So it's also having that little, uh, you know, sort of spidey sense yeah. around your uh, your pattern recognition to start to leverage that. And you get that with experience in the space and just like experience in a career. So I think it's chal- it, that piece is probably pretty challenging or, you know, impossible for, you know, someone who might be right out of school or someone who might be in their first career to sort of have that spidey sense or have that pattern recognition. But as you go on, it, it starts to become easier. Yeah, that's a total cheat code. And that's for folks who are very experienced like us. And then even like you were mentioning, like it, right out of school, I know there's folks who get positioned into situations and you're the expert, you know, you know, they're they've got that sort of imposter syndrome, uh, essentially. So the cheat code is have the confidence within those with, within ambiguity, but then be open to, uh, to explore and to admit when you don't know something and, you know, in a business setting or forum, um, you know, even to yourself, you know, having that, uh, sort of false confidence or that, False confidence and fake it till you make it. I think those are two different things. Um, I think that you really need to um, have a certain element of, I'll call it bravery in those scenarios. And that can get you very far. I go back to my career when I was like, um, they're, they're coming to me for the answers. I thought they were the experts, but it's like, no, the whole situation is different. Um, and it's all how you act. You know, I, I think that um, it's all how you act. It's how you perform in the scenario, the situation that will allow you to safely move through uh, ambiguity and get to know yourself. Like switch that the context switching, like you mentioned, is you have to become very self-aware and to give yourself permission to change the topic, to change your focus, uh, be willing to be. Uh, you know, diverse in your thinking. And it just goes back to this growth mindset, I would say, of being yeah. willing to being willing to grow and um, staying in the uncomfortable. So um, if you could go sort of put your hands on your crystal ball here, the future where things are going um, in, in that in the content space, the content technology space, what are you seeing in terms of like the trends that you're you're following, the other like bring in other sets of data that you're seeing, um, even like predictions data? Where do you see the content tech space potentially moving toward 
what are some things we should be thinking about as we move into the next two, three, five, seven, seven years, 10 years? So, so one thing that's, that's really front of mind for me um, right now is this idea of it's AI, but it's not. Um, I mean, it is AI, but it's not sort of the big AI that sort of comes in and, and takes over, but it's, it's how can, how can machines and humans work alongside each other and how can you offload the mundane or repetitive tasks, uh, that you're really just like, oh, I have to do that again. Or, you know, I, I forgot to follow up with this email because it just slipped my mind or, um, or in a creative aspect, like, okay, you know, what permutations of this, you know, campaign do I need to make? Or, you know, think of all of like the mundane things that, you know, a lot of us are sort of like, oh, on Monday morning, you got to do this. It's like, imagine if there was sort of a magic wand that could kind of like, you could wave and those mundane, repetitive, rote tasks could all go away. Yeah. And you would get freed up for all of the high value tasks, like the things you really enjoy. Maybe it's, you know, connecting with customers or maybe it's working, collaborating with coworkers, or maybe it's, you know, creating content. So I think there's gonna be, you know, greater automation. And I think that the automation is, I mean, we're already seeing it today. So I think there's gonna be greater automation. I think machines are gonna work alongside humans much better. And I also think it's going to be democratized to not just the deep technologists. It's going to be democratized to the, the regular sort of business user, business creator, mm -hmm. maybe casual creator um, in a way that allows them to leverage some of these benefits of technology that have been kind of locked away and, and really only accessible to people who, you know, knew how to write code or were deep technologists or things like that. So I think it's, I think it's all about, there's, there's an element of automation, there's an element of efficiency, there's an element of um, allowing people to do work that has value um, and that is valuable. Uh, and then offloading all of those other things, those things that when we wake up on Monday morning, we're like, ah, offloading all of those things over to the machines. Because for now, they for now they can't wake up and go, oh, uh, we got to do this again uh, for the 10 millionth time. You know, it's offloading those things over to the machines and, and letting us do things that are high value, high value, valuable, and, and valuable to us. I love that. And everything you just mentioned right now makes organizations more human, if I could summarize it. Because what you're able to do now is if you're, I'll call it, allowing workforces to um, outsource parts of their brain that they just don't need to use to machines, that's awesome. Um, also, if you can, like you mentioned, democratizing capabilities, I'll call it, into an organization, to allow folks behind the brand to contribute to the brand, to create content, you start to pull in your, a, a story, a story that's being told 
can start to pull your people into what you're trying to tell to the market. Um, I think there's a phenomenal amount of uh, uh, advantage there. Love that. Uh, so, Nick, thank you so much for stopping on the show, sharing your brilliance. Uh, where can and how can folks keep up with you? I know you're producing content, dropping it uh, on the internet. Uh, what are some key spots where if people want to follow you, they can yeah, go? Yeah, and, and, and thanks, Ed, for having me. Uh, you can certainly follow me on LinkedIn. That's been sort of my default area for uh, these days for uh, for posting content. So uh, happy to uh, have some have some interaction there. Yeah, go find me. Phenomenal. Thank you for all the cheat codes today, Nick. All right. Thanks, Ed. Thank you, everyone, for joining us today for another episode of Marketing Cheat Codes. I want to thank our guests for their time and everyone out there in a primo land for listening. This episode was written, mixed, and produced by Glenn McManus. Our associate producer is Noah Horberg. Our production coordinator is Izzy Herbst. And our creative director is Sonny Okamoto. Our series is hosted by Ed Brield. And I'm your co-host, Sam Chapman. If you like what you're hearing, please rate us or review us everywhere you listen to podcasts and be sure to keep the conversation going by following us on LinkedIn and Twitter. If you have a topic you'd like to hear us discuss or want to be a guest, head on over to the URL in the episode description and drop us a line. Until next time, thanks for listening. Thanks for listening.